0: Now is the time to get more involved than you ever have been before. Now is the time to get involved in local politics at the local process, the local level to really see and enact change. And-
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Lewis, founder of the Tennessee Conservative. And today, Grant Henry, Grassroots Engagement Director for Americans for Prosperity, joins us to discuss recent developments in the Nashville Taxpayer Protection Act uh, effort. And we're also going to begin by unpacking some of the wins from the recent legislative session uh, and the work that still needs to be done. Grant, thank you so much and welcome to the program, buddy.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, It's a true pleasure.
1: Well, before we get started, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got involved in legislative act- activism at the state and local level because it's it, it's a wonky nerds game. <laughs> and yes, uh, sure. very few people care about what's happening in their state or locality, even though it directly impacts them. They're far more concerned with the, the soap opera that goes on. With the personalities in D.C., though you have very little control over it. Mm. Uh, how did you become interested in in where the rubber meets the road and where you can really have an impact?
0: So I, I received my undergrad from uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I was actually a children's minister for a little while, and I, I would always go back to a, a, our a seminary professor, a guy named Dr. kearns and we would talk politics all the time, uh, to the point where I think I annoyed him at some point, you know. And it's a little bit of a joke, but he turned to me one day while we're talking in his big easel chair and read the first paragraph of a Boston Globe article that said something to the effect of conservatives are just now discovering what liberals knew a long time ago, that culture wars are won and lost in the courtrooms and through legislation. And he kind of turns to me, says, Grant, look, you have this passion for politics. Why don't you go into that world, go to law school, figure out how to speak that language, figure out how to legislate, figure out how to interpret that code and see if you can kind of be a light in that community. So that's what I did. I went to law school, graduated with my JD in 2015. I felt backwards into a Fox News talk, uh, Fox News affiliated talk radio gig in Knoxville for a little while. And I loved it. It was great. But I felt a sense of personal conviction. You know, I was just spewing dogma on a microphone for three hours a day and I wasn't really doing it. I wasn't cutting my teeth. I wasn't getting in sort of the nerds game, as you said before. And I interviewed someone from AFP, Americans for Prosperity, without knowing it They kind of convinced me to apply for the job because they told me about what they do of changing hearts and minds and boots on the ground and door knocking and phone calling and really getting in there and and supercharging these social change entrepreneurs to make a change in their community by removing these governmental barriers. So I applied and luckily, Tori actually hired me. Tori, our state director that has hired me and here now loving it.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're here, bud. And I've enjoyed um, my conversations with Tori. I like her because she's no nonsense. I cannot stand, you know, being on the phone with somebody for twenty minutes and getting like nineteen minutes of fluff and one minute of content. So she's just right at it. Uh, so I enjoy that a lot. Um, and she's a, a very nice lady. I've enjoyed getting to know her. Um, as an aside, now that we've mentioned Tori, you know, she's going to be at the Tennessee Freedom Summit on July tenth, uh, speaking about grassroots lobbying and and how you can go up there as a citizen and have as much impact and sway as these corporate um, shills that have been paid uh, to go down there and really in many cases advocate against the uh, interest of the taxpayers and small business owners of the state of Tennessee. And I'm excited to have her do that. So if you're listening and you're interested and you haven't registered yet, please do go to TennesseeFreedomSummit.com. That's TennesseeFreedomSummit.com. So let's lead off by talking about the uh, the National Taxpayer Protection Act. And while conservatives had high hopes for that, Uh, We've hit yet another roadblock. Uh, Talk a little bit about the background briefly uh, and then what's going on
0: uh, or just happened and then where we go next. So it's no surprise to anybody that Nashville is one of the most poorly ran areas in the nation when it comes to fiscal policy. And that's just that's not just my opinion here, Brendan. The Institute for Truth and Accounting, this is actually Wall Street Journal uh, headline I'm reading from right now. The Institute for Truth and Accounting recently ranked Nashville one of the country's five worst sinkhole cities with $22,000 in debt per resident. Mm. Nashville had $3.6 billion in debt prior to the 2019-2020 shutdown. That's one in every $7 received is going to pay interest. So... In 2020, 2019, when the Nashville decided to shut everything down due to COVID to make up for that lack in sales tax revenue, they proposed a 34% property tax increase. Now, of course, conservatives were screaming from the mountaintops, why don't you just cut some spending? But no one really ever considered that, did they? So we thought that it was a terrible policy to raise property tax. We uh, really ran this referendum hard, gathered 27,000 signatures, failed last time. We got it put on the ballot for July 27th. And Big, big efforts. Shout out to Jim Roberts. He's the attorney that wrote this referendum. The referendum would have proposed to do several things. The first one that it would have done was roll that property tax increase back down to what it was in 2019, and it would have capped property taxes at only 3% increase per year without a referendum. Now, we can go through the other five if you want to, but that's the big portion there. The big thing we were focusing on is that property tax situation, cut some spending, get better fiscal policy, put some guardrails in this ridiculous out-of-control spending habit that they have going on. Unfortunately, I stress unfortunately here with a pregnant pause, unfortunately, the local chancellor here, Chancellor Russell Perkins, struck down that referendum yesterday, even though The local election Commission had put it on for a vote on July 27th. He struck it down, essentially ruling that because Davidson County is not a government by home rule, its citizens don't possess the power to change property tax law through referendum. Here's what he quoted, the, the General Assembly extended property tax authority only to county legislative bodies, not the public. So basically what that says to me a little bit is, hey, we're going forward. There may be an appeal coming through just tomorrow. AFPR statement here. I'll read this in a second if you want me to. But the big thing here I'm trying to push is, listen, y'all, this is Overton window shifting time, Brandon. This is time to look for the future. This is time to play the game of the long strategy, running better candidates, changing the way you think about this policy, implementing a better strategy so we don't have to get stuck in a perpetual referendum war, you know?
1: Well, I hope that the appeal is successful. Uh, sounds to me like if if it's not successful, that AFP and perhaps some other grassroots lobbying uh, needs to be done so that, that these large metro areas uh, can be affected by referendum moving forward. Um, referendums are not easy. Uh, they're not easy to collect signatures for. They're not easy to be put on the ballot. So when they make it that far uh, to watch them be... Quashed in in the courts is is depressing. And further, I know there was a secondary ruling, which I was kind of worried about when I saw this thing come down the pike. Because I've been involved in some referendums previously. Uh, when you try to start referendering, referendering me, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Coin I'll it take crazy. it. That's a word. Yeah, yeah. Referendering um, more than one thing, it gets a little dicey. And it gets a little legally dicey. So in many cases, uh, they kind of ran into this previously. I was hoping they'd tighten that up and focus on one thing. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. So hopefully somebody in an appeal will be able to do that. But if that doesn't happen, maybe we can get some legislation that says yes. You know, and with a Republican, you know, supermajority, you think you could do this where these large metro areas can be affected by referendum, but that's yet to be seen. Uh, So let's move on to the next thing. In hopes that there is a a prayer and appeal for that, um, talk about recent legislative the recent legislative session, and while it left a lot in my opinion to be desired, uh, we did have some significant bright spots there. Let's talk about some of the wins uh, in healthcare, specifically the certificate of need reforms. Speak to that grant.
0: Yeah, Certificate of Need, you talked before about sort of the wonky level of policy. This is one of those things where people's eyes tend to glaze over, but I cannot stress how vitally important this topic is, this issue of concern, and just healthcare in general to open up the availability of free market principles to our healthcare needs. Certificate of Need is one of those things, and if you don't know what a Certificate of Need is, it's laws, basically, they're, they're laws that are state regulatory mechanisms for establishing or expanding healthcare facilities and services in a given area. So a state with a certificate of need program basically, if a health planning agency wants to put something in a particular area, it must be approved by major for, for major capital expenses by the legislature. Okay, for certain healthcare facilities or anything, it basically works against free market principles. If I want to go put a hospital somewhere, I have to go to another governing body and say, Hey, do you do you need that hospital somewhere? And they have all these things and factors they can sign off for. And worse yet, Brandon. If you receive a certificate of need, we've heard issues of concern. We don't ever have to give that up. So you have control of this area where there's no hospital at all and no one else can build anything there. Right. So this bill in particular, it was several years in the making, several senators and several House members. I have to give a big, big uh, props to our, our deputy director, James Amundsen, for working tirelessly on this effort. This certificate of need overhaul is a fantastic thing. House Bill 948, Senate Bill 1281, if you want to look it up. It eliminates bureaucratic red tape by making this process quicker, easier, and cheaper. It reduces regulation of certain facilities and services. Again, open free market principles. It eliminates these protectionist aspects of certificate of need, and it creates greater regulatory flexibility. Again, with the basic premise being our rural areas are struggling in the state right now. The average age physicians, at least for GPs anyways, is about 64 years old. So we have a phasing out situation too where that primary frontline care is phasing out. We need a more reactive solution with greater flexibility and this is one way to get it done.
1: Well, there's all kinds of, um, you know, I always said it was funny when I raised money uh, for Republicans, it was always real easy. It was about 80% small businesses uh, just wanting to be left the hell alone and it was about 10% 10% corporations trying to screw small businesses. In this case, probably the hospital association and a few medical associations and big, big medical, because they don't want once they get their once they get their fiefdoms, uh, fiefdoms set up in the state of Tennessee, they don't want uh, other care providers coming in and cutting in on their market share. So they they try to always put lots of barriers in front of entrepreneurism. And uh, for example, my wife and I had a home birth. Uh, and uh, my, no, I, say that I hate it when people say that my wife, uh, had a home birth. That's I was there point. and, that's uh, right. there are all these weird regulations about, can you have a birthing center close to a hospital and all this nonsense. And I'm like, hey, why the heck is that there? And a lot of that goes back to that certificate of need where they have basically, it's almost like a franchise. They got a protected geography for certain things, which I hope that that addressed a little bit. Uh, and that's important to open up the markets. It's, the, it's really the biggest reason why we have such, Uh, overwhelming expense. Uh, Every time I go to to pay, I just tell them I don't have insurance because I have MediShare, which isn't insurance. And it's always a fifth uh, to a third of the cost that was negotiated by medical insurance, which goes to show you that when Mm -hmm. you let the free market do what the free market does, it it reduces prices significantly. Uh, Let me
0: ask you a question. What's your favorite beverage, Grant? Uh, people are going to hate me for this answer, but I genuinely consider myself a water connoisseur. I mean, I'm seriously, I have my favorite brands of water. I have my least favorite brands of waters. I used to do talk radio back in the day and I was so adamant about this. I made this long speech one day about how much I like water. And a guy from a spring water company came in and dropped me off five cases to try and convince me that that would be the best water. So water, water is the answer. Uh, seriously. I like. Well, I'll tell you what, if you will take
1: toilet water and put it into this Proud Tennessee Conservative uh, tumbler. All right. Shake it around, and if you recite a couple of uh, quotes by Ronald Reagan and pour it out, it will be the, the nectar of the gods. You're going to really love this Proud Tennessee uh, Conservative tumbler. And if you get $50 or more when you go to TennesseeConservative.com support, uh, you can be the owner of this. It is made of the same thing that uh, Wolverine's claws are made of. It is indestructible unless, of course, you apply too much force to it. Uh, and when you give any amount, irregardless of the donation amount, we will send you this uh, directory of your state senators and your state uh, reps. And if there's something going on that you want to praise them for, you can call them. If there's something going on that you think that that is not good for Tennessee, you can reach out to those people easily and quickly. And you also get two proud Tennessee conservative bumper stickers. And uh, you can put one on your car and, and, and one on your liberal neighbor's car just to annoy them. Uh, So that's why we always put two in there. Uh, Back to the program, again, tennesseeconservativenews.com slash support. We can't do this stuff without your help. Uh, Shifting gears to the topic of economic opportunity and the right to work uh, as a constitutional amendment. Uh, What happened in this legislative session regarding that and what can conservatives plan to see um, in relation to this in 2022, Grant?
0: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to speak in this because economic opportunity is one of the areas that Americans for Prosperity, I think, is best known for. Limited government, less taxes, all that. But, you know, we're always on the lookout for great occupational licensing reform bills. We're constantly trying to keep our eyes out for corporate welfare situations of, hey, come to town, do business, but don't do it on the back of taxpayer dollars, okay? And this right-to-work constitutional amendment is a major, major win. To give everyone an update. It did pass. I'll tell you how in just a second and what it does, and it will be a vote held for all of us on November 8, 2022. November 8, 2022, you actually see a legislatively-referred constitutional amendment. This right-to-work amendment, though, is even more important in respect to the Biden administration trying to put out something called the PRO Act, all right? The PRO Act would force unionization across the United States. And Americans for Prosperity We don't necessarily have a problem with being in a union, but just shouldn't be forced to join a union as a condition of employment. That's what right to work is simply put. Right to work laws guarantee that no person can be compelled to join a union or pay union dues as a condition of employment. The idea behind right to work principles that every individual has the right to join a labor union, but must not be compelled to do so rooted in that sense of freedom. And believe it or not, Brandon, it was a little bit more difficult passing than I think some would, would, would realize, you know, obviously with any amendment there, you need at least 68, 66. Someone's going to do the math for me, but they got 68 votes in the house, right? They, you need you need that per certain percentage vote. It was a little bit closer, I think, than they would have wanted it to do. Because again, there was just some confusion around what to right to work is, what it protects, and and really how it was being implemented in Tennessee. We already prep we we uh, we already operate this way in Tennessee. This just ensigns it in constitutional law, maintains it there, and in my mind, creates a national narrative by which we can tell federal. Hey, stay over there. Do your federal thing. Stop coming into Tennessee and tell me how to run my Tennessee life. We got it. We, we know how to do it. OK, so how will that do you know how that will be
1: presented on the ballot specifically? Is it just does it just have the verbiage of the right to work uh, amendment and then people have to sign off on it? Sometimes when it amazes me how convoluted ballot measures can be at, at the county or city level occasionally where you, you barely know what in the world it is that you are voting
0: for is it is it rather clear in your opinion i would think so and again you know i'm not going to speak outside my my level of of pay here but but i i would think it would just be that constitutionally proposed language that's all that you're you're being presented on there and i guess it would either be a vote for or against and that might even be the language you see is i i vote for this constitutional amendment or against i vote against it may be a yes or no but uh, but i think it would hopefully be that simple
1: very good. Well, what about criminal justice reform? And it's not the type that we often think of. Uh, when you say criminal justice reform, many conservatives balk because they, they often fear that it's being soft on crime, but there are different types of reform. And specifically, uh, AFP worked real hard, and Tori and I even discussed, about, uh, discussed this months ago, the victim's restitution reform uh, for people that are victims of crimes in Tennessee so that they can be made whole uh, without the government getting in line first. Uh, imagine a, a time when the government would get in line first. Uh, they're, they're the type of people that they've been through the buffet three times, but they'll break in line to go through again. <laughs> and so uh, talk about what that that did and 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 what it's going to do to change the landscape for victims in Tennessee.
0: Yeah, and I would say criminal justice reform in general, the way we like to pitch it to people is that it's smart on crime, soft on taxpayers, whether it's the bills that we're working on or whether it's Governor Lee's package had a a large portion to do with criminal justice reform. It's all under this big sort of umbrella that President Trump gave us the ability to start talking about as conservatives with that first step act. If you want to know what, what, what I the um, sort of umbrella I'm talking about, go look at President Trump's first step back. Smart on crime, soft on taxpayers, giving us the ability to solve generational concerns and do criminal justice reform properly. One of which that you're talking about, Brandon, is this victim restitution reform bill. We're actually going to a, a signing at the, the governor with the governor right now after this interview, House Bill 870. This bill ensures that a victim is made whole first if criminal restitution is ordered. So if I break Brandon's arm or something and I'm ordered to pay his medical expenses, I don't even know if that's legally accurate, but if I'm ordered to pay his medical expenses, typically I would have to go in there and pay court costs first, my litigation fees second, and then only then would the victim, or in this case Brandon, actually be made whole. We thought that was a a ridiculous thing going on, and we wanted to prioritize the victim first. So this bill will either put that victim number one or give the victim the opportunity to convert that criminal restitution order into a civil judgment. And actually, District Attorney Crump was fantastic in helping us. He told a story about, so what happens here if a defendant steals $1,000 from the victim? Well, if the defendant is convicted, he's ordered to pay restitution back to the victim. However— The defendant has to pay the court costs first, which typically depletes most or some of that $1,000. The defendant must also pay litigation fees. Lastly, and only then will he pay the victim. And basically, here's what ends up happening, okay? The defendant just used the thousand dollars he stole from the victim to pay the court's operating costs the judge's pensions funds which come from those litigation fees and the victim is then left holding the empty bag paying for the state to run its operations do you see what i'm saying so hearing a very conservative da like da crump come in and tell that type of story really puts into a better perspective as to this is the style of criminal justice form we're working at here it's more constitutionally driven back in the proper framework of government should be doing Awesome. Well, that is that is good news. So,
1: tell me what AFP will be focused on in the upcoming legislative session. I know you can't dig into every detail, but I'm sure that you have your sights set on a few things. Uh, What are those?
0: So, we're always going to be working. You know, again, in some some form of criminal justice reform, civil asset forfeiture is a big one that's on topic for us. We're always looking to occupational licensing reform. Large. There's still a big chunk of stuff to be done in healthcare. Do not give up. On education stuff, either it being school choice, and I'm telling y'all, with this stuff going on, this is not an AFP point here, but with this stuff going on with CRT right now, what a better pitch for some school choice stuff to get a different perspective, a different proposal as to how to stay away from some of that stuff. But the one I'd like to talk about for coming up here is let's book in this interview with the Nashville Taxpayer Protection Act. One of the things that we tried to push last year that just didn't get through subcommittee that we've had word will get through this year, something called truth in taxation. And we do a little bit of this in Tennessee already, but this bill proposes that any locality, any municipality, any city, any county that has a debt ratio above 10%, if they want to raise their property taxes beyond what's called the certified tax rate, they have to send out a detailed mail notice to every property owner in the area telling them what their current rate is, what they're currently paying, what the new rate will be, what the new proposed, what the actual payment would be going forward, then... They have to have a public hearing, provide a lot of time for anybody that wants to speak to be able to speak, and then right there in front of all those people, vote on whether to pass it or not. And clearly you understand the implications here is, hey, look, you know, go ahead and vote for this if you want to, but there's a 500 people staring you in the face that don't want you to do it, so, you know. You play out your options going forward after that, but we think it's a great way to hold some of these, you know, localities accountable that are just having terrible spending situations and prime really taking advantage of people that are least able to afford these increases right now. That's one I'd really pay attention to next year's truth and taxation. We think it's a great way to really put some fiscal guardrails on Tennessee spending at the state level. Brandon, we're great. Everybody gets that state level. We got it figured out. But some of these local areas are just they just don't get it yet, you know.
1: Well, if there's anything that you are working on that conservatives care about, if you will let me know, we've been, we try to get a lot of the uh, AFP statements and legislative updates out to our uh, readers and our watchers and our listeners, and I'd be happy to do that. And if you ever discover that you're struggling in a subcommittee and there's one or two rhinos, that are keeping things from moving forward. If you'll let old Brandon Lewis know, we'll shine some light on it. And as our subscriber base grows and more and more people uh, in the districts start discovering what's going on in these committees and subcommittees, I think we'll have better movement. We are the only publication to my knowledge uh, that really digs into these committee and subcommittee meetings. We have limited resources, so we can't cover every one of them, but a lot of them were trying to hide uh, in the last legislative session. And we made sure that they could not hide. And they were not happy. They're not happy with our uh, publication sometimes because we do that. But, you know, conservatives need to know and the left wing media in Tennessee um, will not cover things like this because they just want it to, to either go away or sneakily pass. But we'll be there keeping watch. Grant, thank you so much for
0: being here. In closing, you know, what would you like to leave our viewers with? I I honestly appreciate that as a closing question because it's one that I like to answer with, look, the reason why I left ministry and got into politics is to pitch this answer right now. I think there's a lot of people across the state and across the nation that are experiencing a sense of existential crisis. Like, why do i exist what's my purpose for being here am i ever going to have a say in politics again is everything rigged against you but i promise you right now now is the time to get more involved than you ever have been before now is the time to get involved in local politics at the local process the local level to really see and enact change and brandon i'm telling you conservatives and conservatism through a judeo-christian based philosophy have the answer that is truly empowering Our message is one that says, look, you are not a liability that needs to be taken care of. You are not a victim, okay? You do not need to be constantly reliant upon a government to give you everything. Our message is one of empowerment and hope and optimism and virtue. One that says you can do it on your own. You have inherent value. The creator of this literal universe has solely chosen you to do something that only you can do. And if you follow that passion into politics, Brandon knows this. In Tennessee, we are the second lowest voter turnout in the nation. If you are the one individual that steps up, decide to do something, by sheer numbers alone, your impact will be magnified more in this state than it is in any other state, possibly than Louisiana, all right? So I promise you, I'm telling you, now is the time to get involved. Reach out to me, reach out to Brandon. Uh, Brandon will provide my information. If you want to get involved and do this, I'm telling you, we can make a difference. And it's, it's the time to do it right now. How can
1: people find out more
0: regarding AFP, Americans for Prosperity, in Tennessee
1: specifically?
0: I would say our Facebook is probably the best way to do that, just AFP TN. Uh, that's the handle on pretty much any one of our, our uh, either Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or you can just reach out to me in particular. I think one of the best ways to stay up uh, is the, the weekly newsletter that I try and put out. Uh, so if you want to be put on that newsletter, send me an email at g henry it's just my first letter last name g henry at afphq like headquarters afphq.org that's g henry at afphq.org i'll put you on the newsletter let you know what we're doing that week how you can get involved how you can sign up all that stuff
1: outstanding grant i appreciate you bringing us uh, some in-depth information about legislation because we live under policy we do not live under personality and uh those are really what make a difference thank you so much Thank you, sir. All right, guys. If you have yet to sign up for our newsletter, please to go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com, hit that red subscribe button, and we send out the news every day, state and local, with a focus and a little bit of national and opinion because we are outnumbered about 80-some-odd publications to one uh for conservative publications in the state of tennessee even though we're a conservative state and if you do appreciate what we do go to con- slash support until next time i'm brandon lewis signing off